Amen. Please be seated. As you do so, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis for chapter 21. Chapter 21, as we prepare for our morning's passage. You can also find it on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. Taking ourselves back in time all the way back to August of last year, we started our walk through this middle section of Genesis, chapters 12 through 36, which broadly looks at the life of Abraham and the importance of his life and the life of his line. As we think about Abraham and we think about all that's taken place you can really summarize his life by being a man of righteousness. And he is constantly upheld in Scripture as a man of righteousness. And over and over again, it's, it's stated at the beginning of his life and, and through many periods of his life, God will provide for that man of righteousness. He will provide a family. He will provide a future. He will provide a lineage. He will provide a, a kingdom of people who will trust in God. However, while that, we would say, is the overarching theme of Abraham's life, there have been problems along the way, haven't there? One, and this is kind of a glaring problem, Abraham and Sarah are barren. Um, Abraham, at this point, is 100 years old. And even with their long life spans, the Scriptures tell us he and his wife are beyond child-rearing years. That's one problem. But probably the more challenging problem is, as we've looked through the life of Abraham, we've, we personally have found him to be unrighteous. We've seen his actions, his decisions. We've seen his faults, his failures, his shortcomings. And we might look upon him and go, there's no way this is the man of righteousness. There's no way he could be considered the righteous one. Well, part of that is true. The righteous one is Jesus. Let's be clear. The only righteous one, if we wanted to capitalize that title, would belong to Christ. But what this teaches us and what I hope we've learned along the way is Abraham is righteous. It just has nothing to do with Abraham. Abraham is righteous because God says you are righteous. It's not about you, it's about me, says the Lord. God loves Abraham, and God protects Abraham, and God forgives Abraham, and God provides for Abraham over and over and over again. And because of that, we finally, we have finally reached chapter 21 this morning, and I was so close to titling it, we've made it. I, I really, really am excited about this passage today. Because it's what we've been waiting for since August, isn't it? It's what's been promised to Abraham and to Sarah all those chapters ago. We see the fulfillment this morning. And we look at it with excitement, but we also look at it with soberness. It's the reason that we didn't stop at verse 7, uh, but we read through the end of this section. Because there are consequences, even so, in the child of promise. So would you please look along with me and let us do so with excitement as once again we see the Lord provide. I'll begin in uh, verse 1 and read through the 21st verse. Now the Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. 
at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went away and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of this child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised in his word and through his word, he will provide everything you and I need for faith, for life, and for practice. Let us now bow as we go before him. Almighty God, you in your divine providence have ordained this passage for this day for this people. You know we need your word today. And so, Father, I pray that we would rejoice at this child being born. Father, I pray that we would look critically at the conflict that's taking place in our passage. And Lord, may we look lovingly upon you, our Savior, as you care for even those who have been cast off. Father, through the power of your Spirit, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might receive your word and receive its truths this day. I pray all of these things in the name of our Savior and Mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. In some ways, you really could sum up this passage like this. God is faithful to His own Word. You really could sum it up that way. God is faithful to Himself. God is faithful to God. Now, this might not seem that remarkable of a statement, but if we look at our own ability to do that, you start to realize just how profound it is, isn't it? We, as a people, are very capable of being unreliable, 
inconsistent, or even defiant when it comes to doing what we should do. Our doctors tell us to eat less sugar and exercise more. Our dentists tell us to floss more regularly. Police officers tell us to slow down and be patient. And how are we all doing on those? We're often terrible at doing either what we're told to do or what we know to do is right, especially if it's inconvenient to us. However, when we think about us, and we should, at the same time we should think about God, because there is a contrast there. We are unreliable, inconsistent, and defiant. God, however, is faithful, consistent, and truthful about who He is and about what He intends to do. All the way back to Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham He would have descendants. In Genesis chapter 21, God delivers the son that those descendants would come from. Sure, it took 25 years to come to fruition, but what is time to an eternal God? And what's remarkable, remarkable about our passage is we are confronted. It, 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 it's why we look at 1 through 7, but then we shift to 13 or 8 through 21. We are confronted with Abraham's desires to circumvent God's plan. We have to interact with Hagar and Ishmael as they're brought back up. And while they offer tension to the scene, God honors His promises even in them and does not forget Ishmael. This morning, I really want us to explore our passage looking at three lessons about the character of God. I want us to see from our passage in verses 1 through 7, God does not forget a promise. Secondly, I want us to see that not only does God remember His promises, He will protect those promises. He will see that His promises come to fulfillment. We find that in our middle section. And then finally, I want us to see that the Lord even cares for those who are cast off. He remembers and considers even them. So would you please follow along with me as we think about these, beginning with this promise-keeping God and this wonderful news that a child has been born. Now, one of the reasons that this passage is so exciting and it, it should make us smile and, 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 and cause us to be joyful is thinking about everything we've covered to this point, right? There has been a weightiness to the last several chapters of Scripture, right? Really, you could say there's a weightiness to the life of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's been promised to be a father back in Genesis 12. Then he finds out or realizes that he and his wife are barren. This promise would be stated again in Genesis chapter 15. They would be reminded a few years later. In Genesis chapter 17, they would be reminded again, this time twice. Here, we're told that the son will be called Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 18, the Lord sends angels to have a conversation so that they can hear it again directly this time. Both Abraham and Sarah told, we will be here in a year's time when a son is born. Over and over again, they've had this promise made, and yet over and over again, they felt the weight, the failure, the stress, and the struggle of it not coming to fruition. This has led to, to despair. This has led to worry. This has led to Abraham and Sarah scheming. Like the time that they said, okay, well, God wants us to have a kid. We can't have it. Abraham, how about you take my servant? How about you sleep with her and have a child through her? 
And so he does. And then Sarah gets bitter about it. And then God says, that's not what I have in mind. Or how about the time that Abraham is scared for his life? Not once, but twice in, in, in Egypt. And then as we saw last week, and he tries to sell his wife as his sister. Take her. She's my sister. I'm safe. Protect me. Over and over again, we, we have wrestled with, we have struggled with, we have weighed upon the, the, the failures of Abraham and Sarah to provide this promise on their own. Following all of that, though, we come to our passage for this morning, and rather than being in a passage that continues the sadness, the despair, the somberness, it's one of joy. The promised son is born. Sarah is overcome with laughter. Here, she is so joyful, she just bursts into, into song or poetry. And if you look into it, um, there is some, some divine humor here. They name the son Isaac. Isaac in Hebrew means laughter, or one who laughs, or one who brings joy. And so the Lord told them, this is what you shall name your child. And then at the birth of the child, prophecy fulfilled. He, by his presence, brings about the fulfillment of his very name. And as we think about this, as we think about all they've come through, all they've worked through, all that they, they have waded through, their faults, their failures, their shortcomings, and then here we see the fulfillment of God's promise. We're, we're reminded that God does what He says He's going to do. And that's actually very explicitly stated in our passage. Look down with me again. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Two things. One, God miraculously provided for this couple. Over and over again, we're told over the cross of their life, they are to have descendants, but they cannot have children. They are to have a lineage, but they are barren. This attempt failed. This plan didn't work. But God provided exactly which they needed. He did biologically what couldn't be done from a human perspective. And then secondly, so that's, that's the first thing we need to learn from that. God does what He's going to do. Secondly, God can be trusted. Why were they worried? Hadn't God told them He was going to do it? And then our text reminds us again, God visited Sarah like he told them he would, and God did to Sarah like he said he was going to do, and God bore them a son like he promised Abraham over and over and over again. Why were they afraid? They should have known it all along. And I want you to think about this, especially as you think about your own life. How much worry, fear, anxiety, and shortcoming would have been circumvented if from the start they said, this is going to be hard, we don't understand it, but we trust you, God? If God's promised you children, guess what you need to have children? You need to be alive, right? You, you, you cannot have children if you're not alive. So when they were in Egypt and when they were around Abimelech, why were they worried that they might get killed if that promise hadn't been fulfilled yet? It couldn't happen. They could not be killed because that promise had not been answered. 
with Sarah and Hagar and, and that whole circumstance, which is going to cause problems from here forward. Why did they resort to using another woman when God said through Sarah, I will provide an heir? And think about how that upset her then. Think about how that upset her in our passage right now. All the stress, worry, and anxiety they heaped upon themselves because really at the end of the day, what they were saying is, I don't know, God. I don't know if you can do it. Let this be a lesson for us. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God does what He says He's going to do. And if we would but simply trust Him and obey, it would bring all the more joy into our lives, contentment. It would bring peace. I, I love what's going on here as we, we continue to walk through this passage. Abraham immediately turns obedient. Do you, do you catch this? The sun comes, like God has said all along, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, God meant everything He said. So here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to name him Isaac. Why? Because God said so. Two, we're going to circumcise him on the eighth day. Why? Because God said so. He becomes the most obedient person as soon as he realizes God meant what he said. When, when he knows God means business, he all of a sudden, I've got to get in line. And what, is, what comes of that? What, what concludes this section? Joy. Laughter, overwhelming sense of how great is our God. Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. And again, the word Isaac, the, the root of Isaac, is the same of the root word laughter. And you really could translate this passage. Um, it, it would be fair to translate it this way. God has made Isaac for me. Everyone who hears will Isaac over me. There's a, a beautiful wordplay going on that God has made laughter for me. Everyone who sees me will laugh over me. That's not like mocking. That's not like derision. That's, wow. So much so that you could replace the word laughter with her son's name um, because they're that close linguistically. When we trust the Lord, we are better equipped to be filled with His blessings. This poetic declaration and exclamation point shows us what comes of obeying God. Now, that's not to say that there's a lack of problems. There's not, that's not to say that there's going to be no more challenges or struggles or difficulties. In fact, we, we, we have celebrated 1 through 7, but we've got to move forward into 8 through 21. We, we've got to march into what kind of took place after this. But keep that joy in mind. Keep that wonder in mind. Keep the fact that God is a promise-keeping God in mind. As we look now to see that not only will He provide His promise, but He will protect His promise. And isn't it interesting, it, it, it's something I'll admit that I've almost forgotten as I read through the text. Like, wait a minute, Hagar and Ishmael have been here the whole time. They're still around. Any of you feel like that? It was like, oh, they're back. Well, no, they really, they really didn't leave. And this hasn't been a problem as far as we know. It's, it's not been stated at least. You know, it's not come up again until now, <laughs> until this moment. It's, uh, verse 8 tells us, The child grew, Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. A celebration, a party, a, a coming of age. Let's, let's have joy. Let's continue in our joy at this child growing and maturing so not just as he born, he thrives. 
He throws a party. Everyone's invited and everyone's overjoyed, except a few people. Verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now, this is interesting, right? We just said that the root word of laughter or laugh is Isaac. If you look back in the life of Abraham and Sarah, what did they do every time or nearly every time this promise was made to them? They laughed. Was that always a laughter of joy? Not really, was it? Particularly with Sarah's instance, when she was told she laughs because it's a laughter of doubt. It's a laughter of, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. It, It's not one of, look how great our God is. So we've got to be careful that we, we, we recognize that we can do something, we can do the same thing, use the same word, but it's got a different weight to it. Because you might find yourself here like, really? Like the guy laughs and then you want him thrown out? Like that's a hard shift, right? That's a, that's a pretty hard change of gears. Ishmael laughs and Sarah's like, he's got to go. But here's what we find out. Laughter here, while used again as a play on the word Isaac, most likely in this instance means mocking, scorn, or derision. It is a, a, a sharp laughter. It is a biting laughter. It is a, a laughter that says, look at this attempt. I'm a son. I'm a son of Abraham. I can do the promise. I can do everything he needs. I can fulfill it. I, through my mother, was able to give him a son when she couldn't. And now they're going to celebrate this child. I laugh at him. That's what's going on here. That, that, that's, it's not an innocent laughter taking place. This is why Sarah is so upset by it. She realizes this. She understands what's going on. And upset, she she goes to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son. The son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. This thing is very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Now let's be very clear here. We're going to have to be very careful. Abraham loved Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael. He cared for him. He, he cared for his son. He had two sons now, Isaac and Ishmael. And, and, and in the commentators, they, they, they disagree a little bit here on the, the why he was cast out, why they were cast off. But what seems to be taking place is it, it became apparent at this point that the differences in the sons and how they were going to grow and develop and their own personalities and their own demeanors and what they would come to represent are verging paths. In fact, they are so different paths. They, they represent two completely different lines that they could not be in the same place. It's much like all the way back in Abraham's life after they come out of Egypt when he and Lot had amassed so much wealth that they couldn't um, farm their sheep um, or shepherd their sheep in the same pasture because their sheep were too great and there wasn't enough food to eat. And so this is, this is not out of anger. This is not out of bitterness. Maybe some on Sarah's part, but not out of Abraham's. And Abraham is upset. He doesn't know what to do, but God gives him instruction. He says, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. 
jumping ahead a little bit, it shows even here God's got a plan for Ishmael. He's not forgetting him. He's not abandoning him. He's not casting him off. He does have a plan for him. In this way, though, the Lord is protecting the child of promise. Isaac is the one through which the promises would be fulfilled. And as long as Ishmael is there, Isaac will always look like plan B. You you catch that? Ishmael at this point is around 14 years old. He's been with Abraham much longer. He's grown. He's developing. Isaac comes along and it's like, that's a pretty good backup plan. That would have to be in Abraham's mind. That would have to be weighing on him. I've got two. This is surely going to happen now, right? I've got double the chances that this works out. And this is where I I, I bring up um, two things. One, this is going to be very significant. And and one of the reasons, um, and I forget which commentator states it, that Ishmael has to be cast off so that the events of chapter 22 can take place. And so if you, you look ahead, this is Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac. And, and, and this really is the pinnacle of his life, the true test of his faith. That's a lot easier to do if you know you've got another plan, if you've got another option. The Lord tells you to sacrifice one son. You go, oh, okay, I've got another one. Now, we, don't, we wouldn't think that way nowadays, but in this circumstance, it'd be easy to do, right? It's far more significant when it's like, no, there is no plan B. This is plan A. There is no plan A. This is the plan. So there, that's really the main reason we see the divergence of the two lines here um, is so he can be tested in this way in chapter 22. But also, um, and I have to, to bring this up, and, I, and I, I really hope, and for some of you that were, you're in the Sunday school class this morning coming through the book of Galatians. Paul tells us one of the reasons for this scene. And Paul says it's an analogy. Now, before I go into the analogy, let me make something clear. It can be an analogy and literally happen. I want to make sure I state that. He sees allegory here, which I believe is true because Paul says it, but it's not ignoring that these are real people and these are real events. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, oh, it's simple, it's an allegory. Okay, so, so what do you mean, Paul? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, Ishmael and Isaac represent the distinction between works and faith or in between the law and the gospel. Ishmael represents good works. This makes sense. How was he born? By the effort of his father. By his father saying, God promised this to me and I'm going to go get it. And I'm going to go do it my way. And I can earn it. I can accomplish it. I'm good enough to achieve it on my own. And Isaac, on the other hand, represents the gospel or grace. Because what are we told again and again, particularly anytime Sarah comes up, they can't have kids, they are barren, they can't provide, they can't do. And then what does our text start with? The Lord went to her. The Lord provided for her. Literally, the Lord opened up her womb. So Isaac represents grace. You can't provide it. It has to be provided for you. The Lord remembers His promises and keeps His word. And in the same way, the Lord sent Jesus. Jesus to act as a sacrifice for God's chosen people. And it is an act of grace. We're called to receive Jesus by faith, just as God taught Abraham and Sarah to trust in Him by faith and wait upon Him in faith. 
They're constantly told, wait unto me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Listen to me. And through that, we get the birth of Isaac. And so Ishmael and Isaac represent two lines, two belief systems, the law and the gospel, works and faith. Spiritually speaking, for us today, as we think about these distinctions, we must understand what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whoa, that is not that passage. Spiritually speaking, we must see what Paul says in Ephesians 2. As I flip there, forgive me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. If Ishmael was the son of promise, Abraham and Sarah would be tempted to believe, I did it on my own. I did it because of me. But no, God said, I'm going to make it abundantly clear to you, it was not you, it was me. You didn't do it, I did. And because of that, these two paths, these two parties must split. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to consider, because again, coming back to it, these are real people. These are real families. There are real consequences here to them being cast off. But as we see in our, our final section, the Lord cares for those who are cast off. As they go out into the wilderness and they're on the brink of death. The Hebrew here states that Abraham placed upon Hagar the burden of water, the bread, and gave to her Ishmael. Now Ishmael would have been around 14 at this point, so it's metaphorical. Um, I reject any notion that he would have been a baby, so she's not like carrying him in a bag on her back. If he's 100 now and, he had, and, and Abraham had her or had him when he was around 85, you know, timeline, 14, 15 years old. But what's going on here is Abraham is giving away his spiritual responsibility for this son. He is, he is casting off Ishmael from himself to Hagar. And in some ways, it really is a diverging path. Um, if you know the poem by Robert Frost, uh, two, words, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. Um, and then it goes on, then took the other as just as fair, having perhaps the better claim. You look at two paths, two roads, and you may long to take both, but you can only take one, and going down one sends you away from the other. That's what's going on here. Abraham is saying, this is no longer my path. This is no longer my choice, my option. I must cling to Isaac as the Lord has declared. And it gets bad for him. It, it gets bad for, for Hagar and for Ishmael, right? When the water skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of a child. And she sat opposite of him. She lifted up her voice and wept. It's got so bad, it seems that they're both going to die. She puts him under a bush because she can't watch it happen. She goes and cries a bowshot away. She's completely broken. Let me pause really quickly. Isn't that where we all find ourselves apart from the Lord? Or let me restate it this way. Isn't that, where, isn't that how we should find ourselves apart from the Lord? Completely and utterly broken. Not having our needs met. Dying. That's where we are on our own. This is what the law gives us. The law is in place to condemn, to bring judgment. 
It shows us how desperate our situation, our state gets. We become a broken people, tired, hungry, and thirsty, with no ability to provide that which we need. And yet, the best hope for anyone is God's sovereign grace and His mercy, which is exactly what He provides for Hagar and Ishmael. We read that the angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand. I will make him into a great nation. Now, we didn't cover it um, in the earlier section about God keeping his promise, but God had promised them as well that he would make them into a great nation. And so yet again, the same thing that Abraham and Sarah faced, or Hagar faces, if you'd only trust God's promises, God will provide for you. Back in chapter 16, he's told, or she's told he will be a mighty nation. And, and I love this. I, I love what happens next. And then she looked up her eyes and behold a spring of water. How close had she gotten? How close was she to God's mercy and grace and provision? How close was she? And she got a bow shot away from her son so that he wouldn't die. And yet she cast up her eyes and behold, there's the spring of life. Does that not remind you of someone else in the Bible? Maybe a disciple. Jesus walking on water. Peter cries out, Oh Lord, call me. Call me that I would come to you. The Lord says, Come, Peter. He walks out upon the waves. And when he keeps his eyes upon the Savior, what does he do? He walks on water. It's miraculous. It's amazing. It's remarkable, right? But then the troubles of this world, the, the threats and the dangers around him get into his mind, and he, he stops looking up, but he looks down. And where he's at and what he's doing overcomes him, and he begins to sink. But oh, I love what happens next in this passage. I encourage you to go home and look at it this week. What does Jesus do? reaches out his hand and grabs him within an arm's reach of the Savior. Within an arm's reach of the Savior. Two things from that. We can't get there on our own. But God is right there. Right there. And he will do what needs to be done for his people. He pulls Peter out of the water. He tells Hagar, just look up. <laughs> you think you're on the brink of death. You think you're not going to make it. Just look up. It's right there. Oh, just right there. Just right there, Lord. Ishmael does indeed grow. He becomes a mighty man, a mighty hunter, an expert with the bow. He begins even now as she takes him a husband, or a wife, excuse me, uh, from this nation. And we start to see his lineage spread. So we reflect upon this passage. May we see how God cares for even those who have been cast off. He's not indifferent to struggles or to those who face hardship. At the same time, we need to see that God has been honing Abraham. God needed to remove Ishmael so that he wouldn't be a plan B. Abraham's supreme test is coming. It's coming quickly. We've got to deal with Abimelech for a moment, and then we'll get there. God wants to see just how far Abraham is willing to go for God's glory and for God's honor. And we may not always understand the ways of the Lord, but as we see here, the Lord is ever at work seeking His glory and the good of His people. So may we praise God. May we praise Him as a covenant-keeping, a promise-making, and a promise-fulfilling God. 
May we praise Him in not only that He makes His promises, but He keeps them and He protects them. And may we see how God cares for all those, particularly those who have been cast out. He does not go back on His Word, but does precisely what He says He will do. And then just lastly this morning, if you are here and you're filled with doubt, worry, anxiety, uncertainty about the future, go back to the promises of God. He's kept every one He's made so far. And He has promised to keep you, to protect you, to provide for you as His children, if you but trust in Him by faith. And if He has done it ever, every time, every time we have recorded in Scripture, won't He do the same for you? And because of that and through that, have hope. Have hope, have joy, and await His coming with eager expectation. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, there is much joy in our passage this day, and there's also much confusion and sadness. The separation of families, two lines going in divergent paths. But Father, may we not place our hope on good works, our ability to provide, our ability to earn your favor. Rather, may we trust fully and completely in and on you. Lord, just like you provided a son, just like you said you would unto Abraham and Sarah, so may you provide for us. And Lord, we can have hope today because we don't come to you looking ahead, but looking back. What we need most is a Savior, and you have provided a Savior. What we need most is forgiveness, and you have bought the path to forgiveness. What we need most is your saving grace, and your saving grace has been provided. We're told to trust in you by faith this day, and by doing so, we will receive eternal life. May we do so, knowing that you're a promise-keeping God. You care for those who are the farthest off. You leave the 99 for the one. May you do so for each and every one of us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.